the other thing that's kind of neat about being a lawyer, um, especially in this context, it's like sounds terrible, but like it, it, it like it, it's a conversation piece, right? Welcome to the Pints and Pews podcast. I'm your co-host Dennis, and I'm your other co-host Robert. And we're just a couple of guys talking the Catholic faith over a pint or two of our favorite beers. So why don't you pour yourself a pint, pull up a chair, and listen in for the next little while. As we take the faith seriously, but not necessarily ourselves. And as always, if you want to take part in the conversation or have an idea for the podcast, leave us a comment or swing by our Facebook page and drop us a message. Dennis, buddy, how are you doing this evening? Robert, great little tired, but excited. Once again, you've um, brought us another fantastic guest. I don't know how you keep doing this, Robert, but every time we have guests on the show, you seem to bring us a new guest, a new angle, but an always uh, a rich history behind the guest. And uh, I'm looking really looking forward to tonight's guest. I, I'm really looking forward to tonight's guest as well. Um, I don't know. I just put the word out there and I send out the invites and, you know, People seem to take the bait on that. You don't get so. many rejections. I noticed that. I don't think you've ever told me one person is a couple of people have been slow to get back, but I don't think I've ever heard you say, well, this person said, absolutely not. I don't want to be on your show. I, I've had two people say not that they didn't want to be on the show, just they didn't have the time to be they're on the busy. show. Yeah. Okay. They're, they're, they're so busy. A couple of uh, uh, guys in lay ministry. And actually I'll mention Chris Bray, who's uh, out of the London, Ontario area. Right. And, uh, he has a great little podcast and YouTube channel, and he does a lot of music ministry, Chris Bray, um, a great evangelist. And so he's on the road an awful lot. And just and you didn't mention your, your London connection to him. That didn't, the, the, that, that didn't all, help no? at all. Uh, okay. And then the other guy who's also an extremely busy Catholic speaker is Kenya Sinski out of Saskatchewan. Uh, and again, on the road, young family, uh, as well as his YouTube channel and, and all the other great work that he's doing for the faith. Uh, so, you know what, in some ways it's good that they couldn't come on the show because they're, exactly. they're so busy. And it's not to say that tonight's guest isn't busy either. No. Right? no. <laughs> uh, the, when it comes to, to evangelizing and, and sowing the seeds of faith, uh, there's always more work to be done than there are workers in the vineyard of the Lord. Right. So it's, it's always busy. And like you say, you, you know, we're, we're both kind of tired because we've put in a long week, uh, the startup of a new semester. So very busy with uh, working in the vineyard where God has planted us in, in the schools. Uh, and then here in the evenings, when we record, we get to record uh, our Pints and Pews podcast. Now, thinking of that and how busy it has been the last week, but I don't have a shout out for, for this episode. Uh, and it's not that there hasn't been people in my life of the faith. It's just I've been so busy. I haven't had time to think about uh, giving a shout out. And do, would you have a shout out for, for this episode? Oh, um, yeah, just well, I, I think that uh, and I know um, I think all of us have, have lost uh, lost our fathers, I believe. And I just lost my father two weeks ago. So I, I think, you know, that was the one shout that I wanted to give out. You know, nothing, you know, uh, just a father that was basically there for us, you know, worked a couple of part-time jobs along the way. Uh, no fanfare, uh, passed away at 88, you know, raised eight Irish Catholic kids and, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, we missed some and it's just been two weeks. So I'd give a shout out 
I guess to my parents, I think we'd all want to give a shout out to our parents and, and they worked in, they work, they did with us in, in raising us in the faith. And um, uh, he's hopefully he's gone on to his eternal reward. Yeah, that's and, the only shout out I got. Yeah. yeah and, and that's, that's just beautiful. And our parents are the, the first ones we come into contact with for, for the faith. So absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, so um, thinking of fathers, you know, you spoke of your, your, your earthly father, but we also have spiritual fathers. So, and that then brings me to introducing our guest for this episode here on the Pints and Pews, Father Eric Ma. Father Eric is a priest in the Archdiocese of Toronto, and he took a bit of a trip around Canada on his way to answering the call to the priesthood and entering St. Augustine Seminary way back in 2004. Father Eric is the son of Chinese immigrants and Chinese immigrant parents, and he grew up in Maple Ridge, British Columbia, before moving to Vancouver after his own father's passing. Father Eric studied English literature at the University of British Columbia before going coast to coast to study law in Halifax, Nova Scotia. While he was in Halifax, Father Eric made the acquaintance of a devout young man who eventually entered St. Augustine Seminary in Toronto. When he himself, Father Eric, moved to Toronto to practice law in the insurance business, he kept in touch with his seminarian friend, eventually visiting him at St. Augustine's. And this friendship and visit were the first step in Father Eric's own journey to the priesthood. I myself first met Father Eric when he was the pastor of St. Joseph the Worker Parish in Oshawa, Ontario, one of our our neighboring towns. Uh, And it was while he was at St. Joseph the Worker Parish that Father Eric began his Catholic Latte YouTube and podcast apostolate uh, as a way of looking at the world and modern media with a Catholic lens. Father Eric is now the pastor of St. James in Colligan, Ontario, which is near Orangeville, along with the two mission parishes of St. Mary's in Ackle and St. Francis Xavier in Tottenham, also in Ontario, not Tottenham, uh, over in England with the the famous football team. Uh, Father Eric continues his work while busy with these parishes, along with Catholic Latte, and somehow found the time to sit down for a drink with us here on the Pints and Pews podcast this evening. So, Father Eric, welcome to the show. Welcome, Father. Hey, thanks so much. That was a heck of an introduction. <laughs> had to check if that was you, Father. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. There yeah, was nothing left to say. There, 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 there was like a couple days <laughs> worth of research went into that. So Yeah, it sounds like it, man. Uh, but no, we're, we're so blessed that, that you're here. And again, someone who's so busy with the, the, the parish life and as well, uh, weekly or even maybe a little bit more frequently than weekly, the, the Catholic Latte uh, podcast. So oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it keeps you going. Uh, as I said, we, we met at St. Joseph the Worker Parish. Uh, it's not my parish. I was there. My son was in the Squires program. Uh, so I was happened to be hanging out one evening when our paths crossed and uh, my wife's very good friend is a, a parishioner there. Uh, and I know that, uh, so a quick shout out to Christina, uh, who I know is really cherishes, cherishes your friendship father. So mm-hmm. I, I know you're, you're very much missed in that parish. Oh, God bless you. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. 
Pints and pews, and I know Dennis always is pushing. Let's get let's Ch- chomping thirsty, at the bit here, thirsty, Robert. Thirsty. Come on. So I'll introduce my my beer first here, okay. Dennis. That way I can get started before you. But uh, from the Market Brewing Company out of Newmarket, Ontario. So kind of halfway between us and and Father Eric. Uh, I have an I want to call it O Adonai. The label says O Adonis, but I, I like to think of it as O Adonai from the O Antiphons, uh, Imperial Porter that comes in at 8%. So I've got this as a Christmas gift from my own mom. So I've been been looking forward to trying that out this evening. That's so. been the last couple of beers, Robert, that you've been in the seven and eight range, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. I want to sleep well tonight. Let's <laughs> see the <laughs> carrying over from the Christmas season. There we go. There we oh. go. And so then fa- the dark beer again, don't you? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's yeah. February. It's February, so yeah. a, a it's nice a quarter kind of day. It's, it, it was a little bit, and it's going to be overnight. There's a bit of a weather pattern moving in. Father Eric, what are you drinking this evening with us? Well, it's kind of funny. Um, uh, earlier today, I, was, I, mean, I thought, well, gosh, I'm going to be talking on your podcast. I better listen to previous episodes. And then I realized, like, I should probably have a beer. <laughs> so <laughs> I was rummaging really through my stuff. Because I normally don't drink, right? So I was going through my stuff, and luckily, luckily, I had, I had a Budweiser. So go. it's um yeah it's it's five uh, percent, but I'm Chinese, so it's probably gonna feel like twelve percent. <laughs> <laughs> that Charlie Min first put me on to that uh, father. He says that I I he came over and I think I gave him a Corona and he says careful, I might get the Asian flush here. So he just had the one uh, light Corona. But uh, well, in the same the vein, being a Chinese priest, you gotta be careful how much uh, the precious blood you drink, you know. So <laughs> not, not so much in one <laughs> yeah, go, you know. So. Uh, just in that vein, actually, Father, funny you should mention that I'm drinking a Czech Var tonight from, oh. of course, the Czech Republic. And some people have called this the original Budweiser. And oh, it's a Pilsner beer. Yeah, okay. it's a Pilsner, which I love. They're hoppy. They got that bitter aftertaste. And it's in it's from the country that invented, from the region that invented Pilsners. It's a slightly bitter hops with a very clean mm-hmm. finish and a little bit of a sweet taste. And this is one of my favorite all-time European beers right here, Czech Far. You can pick that up at your local grocery store or LCBO. And, so, and, and Father mentioning that he had to dig through the fridge to uh, find that. I just I find it amusing because when we had Father Matt McCarthy on, um, you would, he, he, it was the same thing. It was kind of, you know, what could he pilfer in the, the rectory fridge? Uh, fridge, yeah. <laughs> Robert and I never have to dig dig through the fridge, though. No, Robert. <laughs> no. There's there's usually a, it's right there. Yeah. And um, uh, Father Gregory, Father Gregory Merkley, the same thing. He was like, "Okay, right, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna be on this show, and I, I better go find a beer." Uh, he picked out a beer because he thought it was Indiana Jones on the on the label. So, uh, yeah, that's actually that's the right. episode I was listening to. Yeah, I guess he went to the LCBO yeah. and picked he that, did, yeah, you know, yeah. 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 So, Father, if you could do us a favor, because before we take our first sip, we always like to say grace before beer. Uh, <laughs> hopefully, I, I think I, I think I sent you the the prayer, and it comes from the the book of Roman rituals. So, it is the okay. the official Roman Catholic blessing for beer. Okay. Uh, if you could do us the honors, please, Father. Yeah, no problem. In the name of the Father, and Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Amen. Bless, O Lord, this creature beer, which thou hast deigned to produce from the fat of grain, that may be a salutary remedy to the human race, and grant through the invocation of thy holy name that whoever shall drink of it may gain health, 
in body and peace in soul. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Father. I just want to Good. got to say we before we begin, Father, you have a you have a voice for FM radio for sure. Oh, God just, bless you. Yeah. I think it's the microphone, but God bless you. <laughs> you got to get me one of those, Robert. We'll, we'll work on it. We'll work on it. So, cheers, gentlemen. Cheers. Father, we're losing your video there, but we're hearing you nice and clearly. Oh yeah. Well, that 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 is a nice full porter. Nice ro- roasted flavor. Mm. Full body, very uh, coffee. There's there's a, very much a coffee flavor to that, which I is nice. As much as the eight percent alcohol is going to put me to sleep, the mm. espresso that's in it maybe will help keep me awake as well. <laughs> Father, before when you were at St. Joseph the Worker in Oshawa, it's also uh, a university parish. And Dennis and I always talk about how kind of the the faith and fellowship aspect of things, like this is kind of how the Pines and Pews got started. Um, Mm -hmm. We'd go hang out and have a beer or two and talk about the faith. What is the, the faith and fellowship experience like with a younger generation? We're, we're used to sitting with middle-aged men, but with the the university crowd or the, the student crowd. Yeah, right. Um, well, you know, I, one of the most influential books for me was um, Forming Intentional Disciples by Sherry Woodell. And um, it's just one of those things, like quite apart from the details as to what she says, basically the, the whole thesis of the book is like, in order for a person to become an intentional disciple, like explicitly choosing to become another Christ in this world type thing. Um, there has to be all sorts of preliminary steps. And the idea is that you just can't skip steps. And when it comes to evangelization, I think a lot of times we, we do skip steps. We, we don't, we're not even really thinking about it, you know? So, um, you know, a lot of times I, I think about how the traditional Catholic method is like, okay, for example, you have a catechesis thing, right? So, priest or whoever giving a talk people come out this sort of thing an explicit kind of kind of catechetical catechetical night um but even that's sort of like jumping the gun a little bit and so especially with young people the idea is that you want to establish this sense of of trust and relationship so you know giving someone a positive association with something identifiably christian or catholic and and like you know maybe a trial one thing and it doesn't quite um achieve the desired goal so like you try like multiple things so i'll give an example of chaplaincy like um the first thing we started were were these things called um discipleship groups you know and um you know again kind of traditional thing like catechetical nights and people come out this type of thing and i remember when we first started it was like we only had like two people come out you know and one of them was forced to come because of his dad It was just that, that must have it, been my son. Yeah. Yeah. Right. right exactly. You know, and it, it's one of those things like, like typically in those situations, what you hear from, from Catholic circles is like, well, you know, it's not really about the numbers, but well, it kind of is actually, you know? So if you're trying something repeatedly and it's not working, like pretty sure that's the definition of insanity. Right? So, um, so we just thought like, man, we gotta, we gotta, you know, break the mold a little bit. So, you know, as I mentioned in the outset, I'm from Vancouver. So I, I was kind of, you know, moseying around Vancouver. I think it was like maybe on Christmas or something. And I was with my mom and we like just to walk around downtown Toronto and just taking the sights and stuff. And I was, you know, Vancouver's, they're, they're really big on like, um, like coffee shops, you know? And so I remember going to these swanky coffee shops and like, um, 
it's not unlike the uh, psychology of like the mall, right? So quite apart from like, you know, like what you do there, like drinking coffee or like, you know, shopping in the case of the mall, it's all about the environment. And so like, you know, to, to have an environment where people feel safe, want to hang out and this sort of thing. So, um, you know, so, so for example, with like traditional church bu buildings and facilities, um, traditionally you have meeting spaces as opposed to intentional welcoming spaces, you know? And so what happened, um, and kudos to the Archdiocese of Toronto, they, they were totally up for this, but um, I was like, look, I, I want to kind of bring the, the coffee house experience um, to, to our chaplaincy group because we're having, we're having a heck of a time trying to find like space on campus. And so we, um, we renovated one of our rooms at St. Joseph the Worker in Oshawa to become like an intentional welcoming space. And so, um, and you know, so even little details, like instead of having traditional, like white walls or like kind of like off white walls or gray walls, you know, like we had like this, we painted the thing red, you know, and, and we had a, a barn board, uh, accent wall type thing. And, um, wooden floors and like, you know, a little coffee area and whatnot. And, and the lighting was changed. Um, and it's so funny. I, I remember uh, doing a wedding for a friend of mine and, uh, her, uh, her now husband was in the military. And, uh, I remember like some from his wedding party came over and when he first came in the room, first of all, he's like, is this a Catholic church? <laughs> right. Mm -hmm, <laughs> and then, mm -hmm. But the second thing, second thing he said was like, you know, this reminds me of those rooms that we take to people that we bring people to, where they suffer some sort of trauma and we want them to kind of calm down and, and recenter themselves, you know? And so what we did, and this became kind of our bread and butter with chaplaincy was like, um, we had a, um, uh, obviously the eating mass on Saturday night. And then that just led into a social at this thing. Right. And in this room and, and like, that's all it was like, there was no catechetica element or whatever. It's not like we didn't care about that sort of thing, but the idea was like, okay, we, we need to build up that trust and relationship element. And so if kids come and they have a, again, a, a good positive experience with, you know, something identical like Catholic or Christian in this case, like, you know, feeling comfortable with other kids in a red room, um, that's fantastic. And so it's like, okay, like how, how was my weekend? Like when did I feel safe? Like when did I feel connected and secure? when I went to St. Joseph the Worker on Saturday night and I hung in that red room with other like-minded kids. And like, that's a, that's a ton of goodwill and you could do so much with that. And so what happened after that, like, you know, once people started to, once the kids started to get to know us and trust us, we could take them to, you know, catechetical stuff and pilgrimages and come and see weekends. And so there were multiple times where we brought like, you know, four or five guys, for example, to, to come see weekends and against the seminary and like, they weren't forced like, yeah, they were like, yeah, we want to do this, right? But it's because we had some steps. Now, Father, was there any, I, I mean, you said that was at the church itself, but was there any uh, point where you actually were on campus uh, at the particular yep. university you're talking about? Was there an idea of establishing a presence there or is it more you wanted to get people into the church, like into the St. Joseph the yeah, Parish yeah. area? I think, I think one of the challenges with with uh, campus was um, um, you couldn't get like a recurring um, time, for example, okay. never mind a recurring um, place, right? So it was like, it was not really predictable, you know. Um, and you know, with with uh, university campus, like it's just like in terms of like where rooms are and stuff. Even if, if you kind of know where you're going, like you don't at the same time. <laughs> so right, right. So mm -hmm. that 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 was tough to establish regularity. And, and the thing we noticed too, as well, like um, even though we might kind of establish the Sunday liturgy on campus, like I think in retrospect, a lot of our kids went there out of pity. 
for us. <laughs> you know? And so like they wanted to, they wanted to support what we were doing, but in reality, they wanted to go to a real mass with like, you know, legit church and congregation and whatnot. And right, I, right, I right. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I remember seeing some of the pictures that were being posted on social media. And you could see the difference between when you were on campus because basically you were thrown into a classroom and it, yeah. and it was kind of a, a classroom setting and desk pushed to the side and the the hard plastic chairs and very industrial kind of feel. But I also remember seeing the pictures of this welcoming room that you had at St. Joseph, the, the worker parish. And it was like hanging out in your buddy's basement kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, that's right. Except so, Dennis has white walls on his basement <laughs> and, and he doesn't have red and barn board. Yeah. Yeah. Because people Off-grade. were, yeah. After a while, people just to just drop by there after, after school. It was just a drop in center and people would hang out and stuff. And, um, and just, and just the environment was conducive to like them having like deep, relaxed, you know, connective conversations, you know? Um, and so it, it's just, um, I mean, it's funny, like, like holistic has sort of a, a negative connotation in Catholic circles, you know, but like, just be sensitive to that. Like, okay, like this type of environment or this type of lighting, like, like all of it is meant to, you know, serve God's purposes. Right. And so just to be very intentional in that regard. Yeah. And the, and the archdiocese has done a lot of stuff like that father. Like I'm thinking of theology on tap and other, and the programs in the last 10 to 20 years where they, they're taking us, you know, they're taking kids in the, in, in a different environment maybe, and trying to get that relationship and trust built up first. And I, I think it's working. I know they're very popular theology on tap. I think they're a little bit too young for myself and Robert, but from what I hear, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we started theology on tap in the Durham region, and so we're like theology on tap Durham, and uh, um, yeah, like like excellent stuff. Like, cause, cause you know, it's interesting when it comes to evangelization, right? Like, like the mass is obviously just a source and some of our faith, and like you know, like the real presence and that sort of thing. But like, um, you know, we've turned it into something that it was never meant to be. Like, it was never meant to be the primary means of catechesis. It was never meant to be the primary means of evangelization. So. What happens a lot of times, for example, is you have, you have um, for example, like parents and like, okay, like my, my kid has fallen away from the faith or like maybe they're like t- touch and go. And so what can I bring them to? And so I, I bring them to the mass, but the mass is, is not intuitive. You know, you don't automatically get it when you, when you go there. Right. And, and then, so it all kind of what rides in the homily, but like it, it's, <laughs> but, but again, it, it was never meant to be, to serve that particular purpose. You know, and so in, in parish communities, we're, we're kind of meant to have different programs, different events, or whatever to kind of like meet people where they're at, regardless of what they're they're where they are in their religious journey. And, and again, it comes back to the environment that you're providing for them, and and you're talking about having these different programs and and building these relationships, but it's also having the space that's conducive to that. So like you say, there's this welcoming room, this coffee house feel, because even within the parish, a lot of times it's very formal business-like meeting spaces yeah, that are, exactly. are, are there as well. So it it's just doesn't engender those kind of conversations. So uh, God like, bless remember, you. We, thank you. Like, well, I, you know, I started to throw another example. Like mm-hmm. I remember we had this um, recurring event. It was like family movie night and um, it was in, in the parish hall. And to soften the look of the room, we um, we bought like these um, kind of like cushiony mats type thing, and we purposely bought two colors so we can create like a checker pattern, you know, so like yeah, yeah. blue and black type thing, and then dim the lights or whatever. And and one of the things I, I remember saying to the to the movie committee was like, in a certain sense, the most important part of the evening is when the movie's over, right? Um, and so what you don't want to do is like 
on like eternal lights full on blast and just clean up that sucker and like kick everyone out right because it's like it's the the after party is where it's at you know and so okay people have had this shared experience and they, they watched this movie they had a good time and you want them to talk to each other about how great that was and that makes it real and then and then they own the experience and that becomes a springboard to further like evangelization right so like you know okay yeah there's, there's popcorn on the floor but just like let it stay leave it on the floor yeah, <laughs> just, yeah, just yeah, wait yeah. Let, let that sucker ride out and and just like soak in a goodwill right And Father, this is some. Um, well, this we're just going to go back a little bit here, and this is where Robert would always say, "This is where I release my inner Marcus Grodi." And uh, we're going to ask you just to share with our listeners a little bit of your faith foundation, if you want to go back in your faith story, starting right from the beginning, if you if you'd like. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so I guess like um, to even start before I was born. <laughs> um, so like both my parents are they're Chinese. Um, my dad wasn't baptized when he was young my, my mom was um so my mom was always catholic um my dad just because of circumstances that it wasn't the case they were both um uh poor and so um i remember my dad like he kind of took care of himself even from a very young age and uh, my mom she grew up in more or less like a I don't know, like a garage or a, like almost like a shack type thing with her seven brothers and sisters and her parents and type thing but um, when my mom was still young, this is kind of interesting, um, she almost died because of kidney disease. And so basically, like the doctors have sort of given up, given up hope. And but luckily, they, they called they called the priest and she got the, the last rites and whatnot. And and she remembers having this out of body experience, you know, kind of like looking down at her body type thing. And then um um, but after she was anointed by the priest, she remembers like, you know, obviously going back in her body and, and kind of sitting up and saying, I'm hungry. And, and like, just like, you know, like she still, she still had lingering damage to her kidneys, but like, she wasn't like, she didn't, oh, she survived. Right. Um, so obviously that was, that was a huge thing kind of, kind of going forward. And I think she was six years old when that happened. Um, yeah. And so when, when um, eventually they moved to, um, to Vancouver type thing. And then they uh, they were set up on a on a blind date actually, and it's uh, it's one of those things. They uh, I don't know how this worked, but if I remember the story cor- correctly, uh, my mom um, she was ESL, my dad was um, yeah, his his first language was English, and so I don't know like what happened there for them to really kind of connect. Um, it must have been just like really physically attracted to each other. <laughs> so that's all I can think <laughs> so, Not, not I, that I anyone ever likes Maybe. to think of their parents being attracted to each other. Right. Yeah. right. Maybe right. he was teaching the ESL or something, father. No, he was not involved in that. No, no, nothing like that. So, yeah. So, I don't know. That's, that's, a, that's a mystery. I don't How was his main, line, main language English? Sorry, if they're both Chinese from Hong Kong, from mainland China? Yeah, you know, I should be more curious. I should know the answer to that question, but oh. I don't. <laughs> so, Sorry, just a little aside. No, no, no. No, it's all good. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So when they got married, um, my my father initially was a was a boat builder, and eventually became a real estate salesman. But initially, he was a boat builder, and my mom was a kind of a stay at home mom. And um, you know, it's it's funny. Eh? Like I remember coming across a study. Um, it must have been in seminary talking about what is most um formational in terms of like um you know forming kids you know and you would think like oh it's like you know what you know it's, it's your parents right and, and certainly that that is true right but like the, the study took it one step further by saying like what is most influential for kids 
is not so much what parents say, it's what parents actually do, you know? And so, like, you know, what your parents believe to be important and valuable and this sort of thing. So, um, you know, when I, when I look back, I, I remember having a lot of like key influential conversations with my mom, which continues to this day. Right. But like with my dad, I don't remember like a, a ton of conversations like that, but I do remember like him doing his work, like carefully and well, you know, and, and it's like, um, I think like Leonardo da Vinci, when he applied to do like work at the Vatican, all he did was like a perfect circle, you know? <laughs> and so like, that's, that's the analogy I have for my dad. Like, you know, when he would do stuff, there was a certain simplicity to how he did carpentry and woodworking and stuff, but it was, there was a certain precision and, and care, um, which always kind of stuck with me. And my mom has a similar thing where I always joke with her that, you know, I go home and I visit her in Vancouver, um, just seeing the way that she puts away the dishes. It's just like, I think about God, you know, and I'm not just saying that, you know, cause my mom's going to listen or cause I'm a priest, right. But like, it's true. Like you can tell when someone is trying to give glory to God through their ordinary work and, and like, um, that came through, that's always come through with my mom and my dad. Like, I think he was, uh, you know, even though he wasn't baptized right away, like he, he had that, that same spirit. And, and that really, that really stuck with me kind of going forward, you know, you know that, um, that notion of doing even the, the smallest of tasks with great love. Yeah. Like, I, like I remember listening to a, um, uh, a sermon or a reflection about, um, St. Paul, I think it was Father John Cameron who talked about this. He was the editor for, for Magnificat magazine. I don't know if, still, if he still is, but he was saying, you know, you think about um, uh, Paul, like, you know, first Corinthians where he talks about, I preach nothing but Christ crucified. And his whole point is like a lot of people claim to be a Messiah. And a lot of people claim that their Messiah came back from the dead. But like when St. Paul talks about, I preach nothing but Christ crucified. The thing to remember is that before he became St. Paul, he was, involved heavily in the in the act of genocide <laughs> right and so the way he frames those like here's this guy he was like i mean imagine like an adolf hitler or like a saddam hussein who all of a sudden composes this sonnet about love and love is patient love is kind it's like like quite apart from how you good how good you are as an order or a writer like, like i remember who you were and you were like a jerk as, as i put it mildly you know and now like you're all about love and like christ and so like at the very least i'm gonna listen to you um, and so when I think about my parents, I think about that, you know, so, um, so, so yeah. you grew up in Vancouver, one of the most beautiful cities for our listeners. Um, absolutely. And then you yeah. ended up, uh, you just, uh, was it through high school and university or did you, did you feel the calling at all throughout your youth father or did that come? Yeah. Like when I, th- yeah, when I think about it, um, I think I felt the call since I was in grade nine and, um, from what I hear that's, that's typical of young guys who are called to the priesthood, but. Um, the thing that was missing for me was like faith formation, you know? And so um, I think there was like, a, I wish I remember the, exactly the stats, but like, I think were, there was like a survey or something done in the States recently where it was like, okay, how many, how many guys, for example, are like, like um, something, I forget, how, again, I forget how it's phrased, but something like seriously discerning the priesthood. And it, it was like, it was enormous. It was like 30% or something. But the idea was that, they were missing something which, which prevented them from discerning to, to its natural conclusion, you know? And I, I think for me, like, um, yeah, like growing up, I always had this, I thought about God all the time and, and the idea of like doing right by God, like that was in the forefront of my mind, but I just didn't know my faith at all. Like, and so I wasn't, I wasn't frequent in the sacraments. I wasn't praying. I didn't know my theology, um, you know, 
And and so that kind of held me back. Like it's kind of like Teresa Babla. I think she said something similar where like she was like in the convent, but then she didn't she didn't learn the faith properly. And once she did, she's like in retrospect, like what the heck? If I, I if I were to learn the right thing like earlier, I could have saved myself like a ton of time, you know. Um, and so I, I think, but I think for myself, like it's just it's just kind of the way it played out, you know. Um. So basically, um, so originally, actually, I grew up in Maple Ridge and I, I moved to Vancouver um, kind of later on. But um, when I was in high school, my father um, was was pretty sick and uh, he had internal bleeding and this, this sort of thing. And he was about to die. And my mom, she prayed this like, you know, simple but heartfelt prayer. It wasn't the way I understand it. It wasn't like super wordy or whatever, but it was just like, you know, sincere to the point. Like if if you could keep my husband, Carl, alive till... So basically I, I graduate from high school. That'd be great type thing. And the situation was the internal bleeding was so bad. They couldn't even operate. But then like, after she said that prayer, it wasn't like he was tip top, but he was good enough to, to endure the operation. And so he, he survived and, and lasted, um, um, until like, you know, I think I was in my first or second year of university. Um, and then he got sick again. But then what happened was um, he was uh, anointed. Well, first of all, he was baptized, right? So he, cause he wasn't Catholic and then he was baptized, anointed, um, you know, last rites, apostolic pardon, the whole nine yards. And, uh, and somewhere in the midst of that, um, I think either the priest who did the anointing or the one who organized the funeral realized that we weren't um, uh, like going to mass on a regular basis. So we were kind of encouraged to go to mass more often. And so that, that really, that was a real turning point for us. So, so even when I applied to um, St. Augustine Seminary, they asked me this question, like, it's a really provocative question. And like, you know, what's the best thing to happen to you? What's the worst thing to happen to you? And I wasn't trying to be poetic, but it's like, well, that's the worst thing in terms of like the context of spiritual life was the death of my father, right? And so the worst thing for obvious reasons, but the best thing, because like it, it propelled, it set us back on the right path, you know? And, and that's the thing about like death, right? Like that's why funerals are so precious. Like they're, they're painful a lot of times, but they're precious at the same time because it, it forces you to, to kind of confront like things of ultimate concern, you know, whether you frame it or like that consciously in your mind. Absolutely, so, Father. Yeah, I just, uh, like I just said earlier on, I just went that through two weeks ago and I was just at the funeral mass and I just realized how such a beautiful mass it is. And uh, it was just, it was, it, it really was. It, it, it forces you to reflect on your own life too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, Dennis, just want to say like, you know, my heart goes out to, to you and your family. Right, Thank you, Father. I, I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. And, and, and Robert, Robert lost his father a couple of years ago. So I, I think we all kind of gone through that, but we just getting back to your story, Father, like you had gone into another profession before you actually entered the priesthood, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So um, when I was in Vancouver, I, I studied at UBC um, English literature. And uh, well, little, little side note: people don't they don't quite understand it sometimes. They're like, and they're like, "Oh, your English is perfect." And it's like, no, 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 it's English literature, right? But, uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, so, so I, you, uh, you can correct our to, grammar anytime, Father. Go ahead. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Then I, I went to uh, Dalhousie in Halifax, and then I, I uh, went to law school there. So that was kind of neat. That, that's cool. um, yeah. my, my brother-in-law went to school at Dalhousie for a few years. And we went out to, to visit him. And when we went out, we stayed at the Fenwick, if that means anything to you. Fun. It does, yeah. Yeah, the, the, yeah. the big, huge tower downtown. Uh, wow. Yeah, it, it was interesting spending a, a family vacation living in a university dorm. 
But it's so funny. For the longest time, I thought there was nothing to do in Halifax, but then that's because I didn't drink. And then I realized there was a lot, there's tons of things to do in Halifax. <laughs> not 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 to break out any stereotypes of you know Eastern Canada. Eastern, or... Eastern. Well, I think yeah. it's the yeah. highest number of bars per capita, though, right? So yeah, I don't anyways. I don't disbelieve that. So you're an, you're so you're a lawyer now, Father. You're an insurance lawyer. You're you're making good money. What like you know? I guess that calling was there, but people must have thought. You know, this this Eric fellow. I don't know about this guy. Like, yeah, I, yeah. What were they thinking well, at like, the time? Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> I don't want to. If I want to say this, but what the heck? You know, we're friends, right? But like, <laughs> I, I remember I had a lot of friends who were girls, and then and after I had to seminary, I like to stop being my friend, you know. Or I, 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 you know, so once I started asserting the research seriously, but um, no. But I remember when I was in Halifax, um, there was a friend of mine. Uh, I, I definitely have to mention her. So her name is uh, Karen. And um, basically, she's a nun now for the Sisters of Our Lady of the Blessed Trinity. So Sister James Highland's order. And um, I always, like she knows this, I, I make fun of her all the time that she's the friend I couldn't, I could never get rid of. And so <laughs> like, we, we knew each other in, uh, at UBC and then in undergrad. And then when I went to Halifax, I was studying uh, for law school and, and she was doing her PhD in biochemistry, I think. Um, and she would always invite me to stuff. And um, I, I just, I guess because I was antisocial or whatever, I would just be like, no, no, no. And at most I would say yes. And like, just not show up. It was just so bad. But she asked me so much. I was like, okay, fine. You know? And um, I mean, a little side note. I mean, that that's, that's huge too. Like just, don't give up if like your first petition to bring someone back, like doesn't work, you know, they might be called to the priesthood anyways. So, so like um, she kept on pushing and I'm like, okay, fine. So I went and the thing I went to was a reconciliation service. And um, so basically, you know, Karen was singing in the choir and this is, this is the funny thing. It wasn't like I had this massive intellectual conversion experience where it's like, oh man, like I've done wrong with the Lord. I should, reconcile to the grace of the sacrament and stuff in my mind it was like karen is singing in the choir which means that she'll be here to the end of this thing and there's nothing to do here there's nothing to read so I'm, i might as well just go up and have my confession heard and this was like the second time ever i'd ever been a confession and the first confession was like you know i, I got baptized kind of late so my first confession was like bless me father for i've sinned I may have punched someone in the face, you know, but so like a lot of times it's past and sin, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, looking back, I totally punched that guy in the face, but anyways, um, so I'm, I'm here. It's my second confession, not very well catechized, but you know, just the thing with confession, like you, you give it the good boy scout try and like, as long as you're trying your best, it takes. Right. So um, I gave my confession but because I was so poorly catechized. I remember the priest saying for your penance, do stations of the cross. In response to which I was like, wow, that sounds like really excessive. <laughs> you know? but, uh, but I remember though, like when he gave me absolution, like the huge difference between the before and the after, you know? And like, I, I didn't realize until afterwards, like how much I had been burdened by my sins, you know? And, and now like, obviously I remember it. And so I go to confession like all the time. Right? I go like, you know, like once a week, once every couple of weeks. Cause like, like I'm sick and tired of feeling empty and sad and lost and confused. And, and because I always remember that experience, I know that Christ always has that offer to me, right? Like anytime you want to go to confession and just like dig deep and bring the inside out and be restored to the grace of the sacrament, like it's there for the taking. Um, and so the running joke I have is like, you know, you know, they say every priest only has one homily, 
and we just try to dress it up and hope you people don't notice. But <laughs> I think I think it's true, right? So I, I think I'm always kind of preaching from that experience where like, you know, um, the only way to find the thing that you're looking for is is by being in right relationship with Christ, who himself is the way, the truth, and the life, you know? Um, so that, obviously that was a huge thing for me because it was the first time I realized, um, it was the first time I had a, a real encounter with the Lord. And it was the first time I thought to myself, like, okay, there's maybe more to this calf thing than perhaps I'm giving it credit for. And I know for myself, I find a huge difference if I've gone to the sacrament of confession, the sacrament of reconciliation, if I've prepared myself well and I've made a good confession, that feeling after the absolution is amazing. If I haven't Mm. put the effort into it, I haven't prepared myself well, I come out feeling just as flat as when I went in. And and that's on me. Like that's completely on me. It's not that Christ isn't there waiting for me to, and wanted to give me that grace and that pardon. It's because I'm not doing the the legwork myself. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that because I find, for example, when I do school confessions and, you know, again, kids are, you presume trying their best and maybe they get the confession, but like there's something kind of dubious about it in the sense of father has been five years since my confession and only like did this and this, you know? And so depending on how old they are, what I'll do is some variation of like, um, like I, I always think about the sacrament confession, almost like the rite of exorcism where like you're invited to name your demons, you know? And so what are the demons that are holding me captive and leaving me less free and happy and peaceful and all these things. And so we go to confession, like, like, okay, here's this thing. I, I name this thing and that thing and that thing. And it doesn't always work, but like a lot of times it does capture like children's imagination. And then like, especially if they're in high school and they're like, okay, like I, okay, now I get it. And then, and then it, they start kind of opening up and they have some intuition of like, this thing is keeping me in bondage. And I, I bring that to Christ. Well, and that's amazing. And I wish there were, were more priests, even for us adults, when we, we go for the sacrament of confession, just to draw those things out that we know are there, but we want to, to brush under the carpet. Kind of thing. Well, I, think, I think part of it, though, too, is, is like we're not used to um, having those conversations even with each other, right? And so mm-hmm. it's almost like the um, the grocery store grocery store clerk mentality. Like you go in and you're checking out your stuff, and it's like, "How you doing? Fine, right?" Whereas actually, like, <laughs> there's layers of hurt, you know. Um, never mind, like bringing that to the Lord, and in, in, in any context, like prayer or the sacraments, it's like it's a huge thing. So, For sure. now, where did the leap come in from Halifax to Toronto to the seminary? Right. Yeah. So basically when I was in Halifax, I was, I, uh, I was living in this undergrad residence and this might not be accurate, but it felt like it. It felt like the only other Catholic guy was this guy who was living next door to me. And he went to Toronto first and he went to the seminary and we stayed in contact. And then he invited me, um, once I moved to Toronto to work as a lawyer, um, he invited me, um, to come to the seminary. And, and through that, I met like a lot of guys who are now like really great priests and stuff. And most importantly, I met another seminarian who eventually introduced me to my first um, spiritual director. And, and that was obviously a bit of a game changer. But I, I remember um, having a conversation with this director and uh, I was just, you know, I was, I was a young lawyer at this time. And, 
And I remember saying to him some variation of like, you know, like I want to, I want to give glory to God by doing this and that. I think I, yeah, I, I wanted to be a Catholic filmmaker. That was the idea <laughs> to spread the faith through film and that sort of thing. And um, I expected him at the end of it to say like, wow, that's awesome. And you're, you're great and whatever. But instead he was like, yeah, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but uh, like, you don't know your faith at all and you're not practicing your faith. And so, but don't worry, you can catch up. And I remember being so mad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but he, he was right. And it was, he was giving me like baby steps. Now looking back on it, he's just like, yeah, for example, if your prayer life, maybe like pray like five minutes for the gospels, like every single day and pray the rosary every single day. And I remember at the time thinking like five minutes, that sounds kind of long, you know? <laughs> that, that's an eternity. Um, yeah. Yeah. But that's the whole thing. Like, like, again, like not skipping steps, first steps and first things first. Right. And um, yeah. Cause you know, as a comparison, like this happens all the time with priests where like, especially young people will come in the office and, and they frame it like, okay, well, I want to do right by, by the Lord. I want to do his will and stuff. And what they mean is like, I want God to show me who I'm supposed to date, who I'm supposed to marry, what kind of job I should get and stuff. But then you start asking them questions, which like situate God's will in terms of like, like the concrete right now, like never mind one day in the future, what kind of job, what kind of future potential spouse, but like, are you praying now? Are you going to the sacraments now? Like, are you, are you do you have this, this at least intentional desire to correspond to the duty of the moment. And if the answer is like, no, no, no. It's like, okay, that could be for a whole variety of reasons, mm -hmm. but don't tell me you want to do God's will. <laughs> right. Yeah, Cause you yeah, don't, yeah. right. You don't. Yeah. So you went to the seminary father, but, but did I read correctly that you were still practicing law and your summer's off? Like, so were you still, you know, not entirely in, or were you still having doubts at that oh, time? Well, um, I, I wasn't, yeah. Like I, I was, I was, I definitely struggled when I was in seminary, but it wasn't because of the money thing. Um, I was, I worked as a lawyer because I just owed a, a ton of money for student <laughs> loans. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So luckily at the last law firm I worked at, um, they, they liked my work. And, and so they took me back every, every summer. And, um, you know, I remember like the last summer before, um, before I got ordained, like, um, they would even send me, like, I, I was allowed to stay at, at some, one of the local parishes and then that firm would send over files for me to work on, you know, and, and, and the parish. And then when, once it was done, it was sent a courier to pick it up. So it was a pretty sweet deal. Um, yeah, but it was, it was nice. Cause like, otherwise I don't know what I could do to pay off my student loans. Right. Um, and, and when you yeah. entered, sorry, you, there was no idea in your head of like, like canon law or anything like that. You were obviously, you know, you were called to the priesthood, but you weren't thinking, you know, down the road, hey, I could maybe. No, 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 no. Okay. No. Yeah. That was, yeah. 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 I mean, it's it's one of the things like, like, um, I appreciate doing the English literature degree because, like, it, like knowing how to write teaches you how to think and therefore how to speak type thing. Um, but being a lawyer taught me, like, to be honest, like time management, you know, because <laughs> you're billable hours and that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. But the other thing that's kind of neat about being a lawyer, um, especially in this context, it's like, sounds terrible, but like, it, it like, it, it's a conversation piece. Right. So like, I know that like, I look, I look pretty young, you know? And so, but if people find out, Oh, there's this guy and like, he used to be a lawyer, like that's a conversation starter, you know? Right. So that's kind of yeah. neat. It, it, it's, yeah. a, it's a way in to, to start, evangelizing with people that they're interested in you as the person and through that it's access into the faith back to the relationship thing you spoke about earlier on for sure
So in your mentioning that English lit degree from UBC and how English literature helps you know, to learn how to, to write, helps you le- learn how to speak. Uh, you do an amazing job with Catholic Latte. And a couple minutes ago, too, you, you alluded to that you know, every priest seems to only have one homily and he dresses it up a little bit differently. Um, I've been listening to, to your Catholic lattes and, and absolutely amazing. And I, and I think it's great because they're anywhere between five and 15 minutes long, which is very manageable chunks for when it comes to that kind of catechesis. And I find I'm having to re-listen and re-listen and re-listen to them. But making those links from pop culture to the faith and, and how mm. that that's reflective, where did the notion for Catholic Latte even come from? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, uh, Dennis kind of alluded to like the struggles I had in the seminary, and it's, it's a real thing. And I remember like, I'll tie back to your, to answering that question, mm-hmm. but like, um, I remember early on when I was in seminary formation, my director was saying to me, um, you realize you, you never talk about Jesus, you know? And it's like, <laughs> huh, that's a, it's not good. Is it? We're going to work on that. Right. And, um, I, I found like when I went to prayer, um, I would put on the time, but like in terms of like the personal relationship with God, that sort of thing, like, like whatever, right? I just didn't know how to make heads or tails of that. And um, so what I would do, what, what I've always done whenever I'm feeling kind of stressed and out of sorts, I would, I would go to a movie theater by myself, like not, not see a movie at home, but it has to be like in a movie theater, not with other people, but by myself. And it was almost like a hyperbaric chamber and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then what would happen is I would always like kind of find these really kind of deep um, kind of moments, in, not in every movie, obviously, but like cer- certain parts of certain movies, which would really strike me deeply and, and move me to tears even. And this would happen like naturally, you know? And then um, I remember talking to my director about it and he says, you know, do you realize that God is kind of speaking to you through these experiences? And um, quite apart from like, you know, me and movies, like, I think the takeaway message for, for people is that like um, the disposition that I had in, when seeing a movie by myself is actually the sort of disposition you're supposed to have in prayer, which is to say that like, when I went to see a movie, I wasn't trying to generate anything. And I wasn't like worried about getting it wrong. Like whether I liked the movie or not, like it, that didn't matter. And that movie wouldn't judge me. <laughs> Like I wouldn't be hurt by the movie, you know? And then so like, if something happens, fine. If something, if something doesn't happen, that's fine too. And all those things, like those, those are supposed to be the constituent elements to, to have a fruitful kind of prayer experience. And so, um, you know, so I, I kind of carried that forward. Now, the other part about the movie thing though, is that, um, you know, that's a really important part of evangelization where like, uh, and Bishop Robert Barron talks about this, right? Where like, I think we all know intuitively about the 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 negative aspect of evangelization. We're like, okay, what's incompatible with the gospel message? And I point that out in terms of like the culture versus the gospel truth. But another really important part of it is like the positive aspect where like, okay, what is there in the culture where maybe it's not like perfectly right, but there's something to it, you know? And I can use that as an entry point to like um, begin a conversation about the faith. You know, and so I think um, Ignatius of Loyola has this great expression where, like, you know, I come through your window, but you're coming out my door, type thing. You know, <laughs> so <laughs> if I hook up by crook, we're going to make the sucker go, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So that that's always been that's always kind of worked for me. And why the latte? Why the name, Father? Where where did the name? Or, the yeah, origin it's, of the it's, name. It's totally misleading. Um, 
I, I wanted to pick something which sounded like non-threatening and and so and, and, and kind of like hinted at fun, you know? And so like, oh, no one's threatened by a latte. Um, but the ironic thing is that I'm, you know, obviously I'm Chinese and I'm lactose intolerant. Right? So it's just like, I don't... <laughs> You don't, don't even drink lattes. lattes. <laughs> no, no. So it's, it's a big scam. And I thought you were going to take it right back to the beginning when you were sharing the story about going to the coffee houses in Vancouver. Yeah. Right? With and your mom. Yeah. yeah, that's what I thought. Oh, maybe. no. It was just, yeah, it was, just, it was just about the environment. <laughs> it wasn't about actually drinking coffee. That's funny. Yeah, that's and and I, I like that you're saying just as far as looking at what the world has to offer and we all, we know that everything that's unoffered by the world is is imperfect but looking even within the imperfection of what the world is offering and see how that can bring us to to christ and i really keyed in one of the the catholic latte episodes that you did shortly before christmas there was a line that you you said in there where you said i need to live my life more and i looked at myself in the rearview mirror, kept my eyes on the road I was driving at the time, but also kind of looked at, at myself in the rearview mirror and said, "Yeah, I kind of need to do that myself." Where mm. my head is constantly in the sand. I, I do my my theology readings. If I'm watching something, it, it usually is of a theological bent. Uh, that's what interests me. But then when it comes time to have a conversation with someone, and they are talking about the latest movie that's in the theater i'm like i have no idea and, and mm-hmm. i have nothing to go on and yeah. so it's got me thinking maybe i you know i do need to get out there and i need to do need to to be a little bit more in the world need to live my life more so yeah. that i can also be that window uh, onto christ for for someone else yeah you're referring to the uh, christmas family idea i guess right um, I, I know it was one from in and around that, yeah, that time, yeah. but exactly, exactly which one it was. Uh, and in mm-hmm. those, and you were talking about the Spider-Man movies, mm-hmm. which uh, I've never seen any. For me, Spider-Man is still the, the hokey 1970s cartoon. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I hear you. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you were. A lot, a lot of things have happened since then. There's been a few <laughs> since then. Yeah. My kids tell me about them all the time. Yeah. And, and yeah. you were mentioning about how you would be moved to tears while you're in the movie theater watching could actually hear that in one of your episodes when you were talking about when aunt may was talking to peter parker after mm. she had been hit by the the green goblins glider and i'm only getting this from your your episode because like, i haven't seen mm-hmm. any of this but you could hear it in your voice there there, mm. there was just a little bit of a, a tremor in your voice that there was um so much in that moment and so much in the the wisdom that aunt may was giving to to peter parker and it was so close to home and and the faith that you could hear it moving yourself as you were recording that yeah yeah for real yeah yeah it's good for you to notice that like i remember when i first came out from seeing that movie and talking to my mom about it you know, you get ch- choked up so much you can't even talk. And like, my, I was talking to my mom in Vancouver, and she's like, "And there's this, there's a long silence." And she's like, "Rick, are you crying right now?" <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I am. I'm, I'm just trying to collect my thoughts here, right?" But yeah, yeah. But that also makes it real, and I think that makes it real for your your listeners. Uh, and there was so much in in all of those talks. Uh, 
that again, I'm listening to it going, yeah, I needed to hear that today. I needed to hear that today. So again, thank you. And God bless you for, for the work that you're, you're doing with that. Thanks so much. I really appreciate that. So Father, um, you're, you're now a priest with the Archdiocese of Toronto. Was there any, like, are you thinking about going, I know you you're probably stay in Toronto or the Toronto area, but I mean, Vancouver, like I said before, I mean, I grew up in Toronto, so I can talk about Toronto, but Vancouver is such a beautiful city. Is there any mm-hmm. thought and your mother's still there of, of going back to there to, to a parish in the Vancouver area or you're, um, you no, I, I definitely Toronto? feel called to stay. Yeah. Definitely feel called to stay here. Um, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's one of those things because, you know, you, you can be incarnated in any place you've lived before. Some of the options were like Vancouver, Toronto, Halifax. And uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. It just, it just, um, it was always going to be Toronto. Like, it, like Vancouver, like, and it never even got to the point where like uh, weighing the pros and cons and discerning in that way. It was just like, it always seemed right to go to Toronto. To be in Toronto. Yeah. To stay in yeah. Toronto as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Father, I want to thank you so very much for taking the time to, come and hang out with us this evening and to share your story and share your wisdom. Uh, when you were talking at the beginning about, you know, the, the welcoming spaces and, you know, creating relationship and the discipleship groups and that notion of having trust and relationship first, and then moving to catechesis. Uh, I want to book a meeting with my own pastor and kind of, I, I felt inspired. <laughs> I wanted to, to, to get going. Um, within our, my own parish for that. So thank you so very much for sharing that wisdom with us uh, here oh. this evening. No, my pleasure. It's been, it's been a lot of fun guys. Really appreciate thank you it. father so much. It's, uh, it's been quite inspiring as Robert says. Yeah. And I'm sure our listeners have certainly got a lot out of this episode as well. I hope they're still continuing that um, the welcoming room and, and the faith at St. Joseph, the worker, now that you're gone, have they continued so, with man. that? If they, if, they, if they paint a white, I'll be, I'll be so upset. <laughs> no white walls allowed. <laughs> That's right. well, you don't have any, there's no universities up, up in the, uh, your area now, I guess, to do the same, I suppose. Is there father or no? Uh, no, but, but uh, yeah, but like, you know, Tottenham is really, really, really growing. So there's a lot of potential here, you know? So yeah. Yeah. It's, it's almost like each- a suburb now, isn't it? It's, it's extended that yeah. far in the suburbs of, of Toronto, hasn't it really? Yeah, and I never had three churches before, so that'd be kind of interesting, you know. So that's a, and and you're the only one at all three, or do you have a, any assistant? Yeah, that... um, it's just me. Um, so one of them right now is still being renovated, and in the meantime, um, and one of the St. Mary's is, is closed, but so right now it's just St. James, but eventually all three will be up and going. <laughs> busy man, and you thought law was busy, eh, Father? I know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's not even close. <laughs> <laughs> Again, thank you very much, Father. And I know that uh, we'll, we'll continue to be in touch. I know I'll continue to listen to the, the Catholic latte, Absolutely, even, even though you're you call it Catholic latte. You're not drinking a latte, at least here on the pints and pews. We we do have mm-hmm. our pint as we go along. Uh, I hope yeah. you enjoyed the at Budweiser. Least at least I'm drinking beer now, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the one beer you're allowed for the month, Father. And that's right. That's hey, right. until St. Patrick's Day, you got you got about a month <laughs> and a bit left. <laughs> But hopefully you you enjoyed that with us here this evening. I know I enjoyed my O Adonis, or like I want to say O Adonai, a great little porter. So uh, if ever you're in the Newmarket area, uh, the Market Brewery, uh, great little spot. Uh, I've enjoyed everything that I've had from that brewery. Sounds and Dennis, good. Dennis, your check var. 
Oh, the check bar is almost done, Robert. It was fantastic. Yeah, I might, I'd almost have, if it wasn't a school night, I might have a second, but I, I don't think I can do that. <laughs> no, bed, no. Bedtime calls soon. That's right. When you get to our age, Father, bedtime calls. Early, call calls very, very early, sometimes <laughs> even before supper. So, again, thank you very much, Father. Thanks, and, Father. So and much. may God bless your vocation. Thanks so much, guys. Another great guest, Robert, Father Eric. Wow, that was really inspiring. It, it was. I, I, I was so impressed by his story and kind of the, the journey he took. Like he said, he started uh, contemplating the priesthood at about the age of 14. And that Great journey that that took uh, from Vancouver to Halifax to Toronto was absolutely amazing. It's, he's Yeah, he's gone right across. And his, and his voice, too, it's a very calm, soothing voice. I, I found it very easy to listen to, just like a couple of his podcasts, too. Catholic Latte is a fitting name because you actually, you, you want to go back for another. You know, it takes about five, ten minutes to get through, and then you want to go back for another. So it really works out with the name, even though I didn't plan it that way. Oh, exactly. And I mean, with the 8% alcohol in my, my beer there this evening, and like you say, just such a... Uh, a calm, soothing voice. Uh, I would need a latte uh, as well to you know, keep myself going. But no, not to say Father Eric was putting me to sleep. I, absolutely the opposite, opposite of that. Uh, yeah. I was just enthralled where he was talking about building relationships before we catechize. Uh, I thought that was so inspiring. And like, was. I, like I said, yeah. I, I want to go to my own parish now and uh, paint the walls red. I know. Sometimes he says we have it wrong with the, the catechesis, right? We're, we're jumping ahead of ourselves and we've got to start a, a little bit earlier on with the relationships and the trust and stuff. So it's, it's very much food for thought this evening. That's for sure. Exactly. And thinking on that notion of building relationships, we'd like to build some relationships with our listeners by giving away a couple of hats. No, what's with those hats, Robert? They're the nicest looking hats and we still can't give them away to people. I know. So we had talked about, we had selected some names back at the beginning of January. I sent some messages out, never heard anything back. Picked a couple more names, sent some messages out, never heard anything back. Beginning of February, again, randomly, a couple more names, sent some messages out, haven't heard anything back. So here we are two weeks so you've, in. You've, you've developed a fail-proof plan this evening, correct? Well, it depends if anyone's listening to us or, or not. But <laughs> What I'd like to say is that the first two listeners to send us a message via the Facebook page, you don't have to like the Facebook page. You don't have to follow it. I mean, if you do, that's great. But just the first two listeners to message via the Facebook page, I want a Pints and Pews ball cap. It's yours. That's the easiest instructions you have ever given out on this program, Robert. According to my students, those are probably the easiest instructions I've ever given out, period. And, and, that's and, they're, a, in English, and they're in English to our listeners, which is good. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, drop us a line via the Facebook page. I want a hat. The first two who do that, the hat is yours. Now, Dennis, as always, the time seems to have flown by this evening, and my hourglass is just about empty. Always a pleasure, Robert, both the pint and the conversation. Especially the pint. I thoroughly enjoyed my Oadonis here this yes. evening. And I certainly enjoyed my Chekfar. But it's always a pleasure to talk about our Catholic faith as well. Very true. Very true. And just before we wrap up, perhaps there's one small favor we could ask of our listeners. 
If you could take a quick moment and a couple of clicks to follow the Pints and Pews podcast on your favorite platform and give us a review. And while you're at it, give us a like on Facebook, drop us a line there, or send us an email at pintsandpews at gmail.com. We always enjoy hearing from our listeners. Okay, we'll chat again soon, my friend. God willing. And until then, why don't you remind our listeners of the wise words of G.K. Chesterton. In Catholicism, the pint, the pipe, and the cross can all fit together. God bless.